Welcome to episode 254 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Fast, Feast, Repeat, a comprehensive guide to delay, don't deny, intermittent fasting. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi friends, I'm about to tell you how to get three pounds of organic chicken thighs, two pounds of grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef, or one pound of premium grass-fed, grass-finished steak tips, all for free, plus $20 off. That's right, we're talking pounds of meat for free, plus $20 off. Friends, I love meat and seafood. My favorite way to get it is ButcherBox. It has been for years, and it's one of those things where I just sort of become more and more obsessed the more I use it. Especially with all the greenwashing that's going on today with meat and seafood, there's a lack of transparency, it can be hard to know what you're actually getting, and it can be expensive. ButcherBox addresses all of that. By directly partnering with farmers and fishermen, ButcherBox cuts out the middleman of the grocery store and directly delivers delicious meat and seafood straight to your door. And they have the highest standards. Their salmon, for example, is wild caught. Their beef is 100% grass fed and 100% grass finished. Their chicken is free range and organic, and it all tastes delicious. I love their chicken, love their meat, love their seafood. They have amazing scallops as well. And you can really find the collection of food that you want that works for you and your family. They have curated boxes, so you can get exactly what you want as fresh as possible because yes, meat and seafood that is immediately frozen is fresher than meat that is waiting out and never frozen. That's because it's frozen at its peak of freshness. It's funny because people kind of think it would be the opposite. Like, oh, I need never frozen meat and seafood. No, 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 no. You want frozen. You want meat and seafood that was immediately frozen and then shipped to you, which is what ButcherBox does. I eat a lot of steak at restaurants. ButcherBox's fillets are divine, way better than anything I would get at a restaurant. Their other cuts are amazing as well. With their seafood, I know I can trust them that I'm actually getting what they say because yes, there is a lot of scams in the seafood industry and their chicken also tastes amazing. It's free range and organic and tastes delicious. With ButcherBox, you don't have to worry about what's for dinner and ButcherBox has an incredible offer for our audience. You can have your choice of a weeknight meal essential for free in every order for a whole year. Just go to butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast and use ifpodcast to choose either three pounds of organic chicken thighs, two pounds of grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef, or one pound of grass-fed, grass-finished premium steak tips plus $20 off. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast and use code ifpodcast to choose your free offer and get that $20 off. ButcherBox.com slash IFPodcast with code IFPodcast. I will put all this information in the show notes. 
One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers, from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 254 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here, Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. How are you today, Jen? Doing great. Coming to you from the beach cottage, looking at the ocean. So that's always good. It's so funny to me that you made a last minute trip there with the amount of time that it gets to get there. Like by this time, I wouldn't have been able to answer like a last minute email and you made an entire trip to the beach. Oh, by this time of the day? Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. We decided yesterday we would come down. Will and I, Will came with me and we decided, and I'm like, all right, we have to leave by 930. Oh, wait, you decided last night. Okay. never mind. That's a little bit different. I thought you decided like today. Well, we decided last night that we would get up and come. 
That I could do because I would have planned. I mean, I didn't have to do anything. The thing about coming to the beach, it's so easy. All you have to do is throw clothes in a bag and go because I have everything I need here, including my toothbrush. Like I don't need to bring any of that. We just, all I need is clothes. So we literally just threw our clothes in bags, hopped in the car and came down. So it's like a, you know, it takes about four hours to get here with stops and they're always like, bathroom and get more coffee stops for me, but Will is a frequent eater, so we also had to get him food. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Both at your house and at the beach house, what is on your nightstand? Okay. Well, at my regular house, I have a really good size, like a big nightstand that's like drawers. So it's bigger than a a normal nightstand. It's almost like a small chest of drawers. We have one on each side of the bed that are the same. And so I have a lamp and I have a book, and it ju- I just chose it because it's uh, you know it's it's midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, and I didn't choose that like especially, but it's a Southern book. But that's just the one I happen to have because it's just a black simple, and I like the name of it. And I have on top of that I have a vase. Well, it's like a a blue and white like a urn kind of a thing with some dried roses in it. And I, I had the blue and white vase like whatever it is, whatever bowl. It's a bowl. But my neighbor when we moved in gave me these flowers. Like they're roses that she dehydrates and they're white and they're sitting in. Anyway, that's what I have. That's all you have? There's nothing else? Well, I have a coaster in case I want to sit something on. But at the beach, it's a tiny, tiny little bedroom because this whole house is like just under a thousand square feet. So it's really a tiny little cottage and it's three bedrooms, two baths in just under a thousand square feet. So that tells you how little it is. And so the bedside table is literally like 12 by 12. It's tiny. And so nothing sits on that. I have a floor lamp that I turn off and on that's by, behind it. So I have room for a floor lamp and then that tiny little table. And at night, I do put my phone on it to charge. Is that what you were going to ask me? Yes. Yes, I do sleep with, with my phone beside the bed. Yes, I've been brainstorming and gathering data Have I mentioned on this show about how I want to develop the line of EMF blocking products? I think you did. Yeah, because we talked about how I have like the all that electrical stuff coming into my house. Yes, yes. So I've been polling in my Facebook group what people have on their nightstand because I really want to create something that goes on your phone so that you can use your phone on your nightstand at night and be protected from those EMFs. Most people are sleeping; their phone is on their nightstand, very near to their head. So. I really think that can affect a lot of people's sleep and health. It would not surprise me. It would not surprise me. I actually started plugging it into the bathroom for a few weeks, and that just lasted a few weeks, and then I brought it back. <laughs> like the way that they um, finagled the studies, it's kind of like stuff that happens in the processed food industry and a lot of industries. The way they set up the studies to establish safety for EMFs, especially with things like phones, it's like not any way you'd be using it in real life. It just is not. But when I did my poll, about 80 people answered. What do you think was the number one thing? And it was open-ended. I just said, what's in your nightstand? And then I made an Excel doc. A lamp? Or did they say their cell phone? Lamp was number two. Phone was number three. What do you think number one was? Oh, no. Books were number two. Water. Oh, that's interesting. I do not sleep with water beside my bed. I do. Do you? Yeah. You're like waking up drinking water in the bed? Yeah, just in case. 
I'm thirsty in the middle of the night. Nope. I've never once been like, man, I'm thirsty in the middle of the night. I think I'll have some water. Unless I'm like in the past days of when I was super hungover, I might would get up and go drink water. But I mean, that's not something that's typical now at this age of my life. But yep. So water was number one, then lamp, then book, and then phone. And see, I didn't even say phone because I, I mean, it doesn't sit there all the time. That's not a part of my nightstand. It's just there while I'm sleeping. Now, if you had said, what's on your nightstand while you're sleeping, phone would have made it. But like, if I just walk into the bedroom, the phone is not on my nightstand. It's very, very true. Some other things were like lotion that had a lot, phone charger, glasses. Yeah, I've got my phone charger. This is how I've made it pretty. So you don't have to see it. I took one of those command adhesive hooks and command adhesived it to the back of the dresser, the bedside table. And then I have the phone charger like tied in a knot kind of around that hook. So I just pull it up to charge and I throw it back there so you don't see it during the day. So if I made something for you to put on your phone when your phone is on your nightstand at night, like how would you want it? Would you want it like really minimal? Would you want it to like hold something? Like what features would you want? Would you want it to have a way that you put your charger? That's super tricky. Could it be also integrated with the charger? Yes. Yes, it could. See, I'm very into aesthetics and minimal clutter. So if it's not pretty and minimal clutter, I'm not going to use it. That's why my initial feeling was just like a very minimalistic box that maybe was like a tray on top, but very minimal. And then you put your phone underneath. The cool thing is the blocking does not have to go 360, cover it completely. It just has to go vertically between you and the phone. Does that make sense? There just has to be like a vertical wall of protection between you and the phone. So it could be like one-sided or it could be like on a swivel so you can like turn it around. This is way harder to brainstorm for than I thought. <laughs> like, yeah, I can imagine. That does sound hard. And plus, everyone has such a different aesthetic. I know. So that's why I'm thinking like very minimal for the beginning. And then if it goes well, make options for different, more elaborate things. So you vote minimal. Well, I do just because, you know, I'm not going to put something that's bulky or whatever. That's just not my aesthetic. Well. Listeners, if you have ideas or if there are other EMF blocking products you would like, let me know. I was kind of imagining just you slipped it into this little sleeve or something. That was my initial thought. Now I'm thinking, but people do really like the charging option. So what I really wanted to do was a like a wireless charging option. So you're like putting it in and it's wireless charging, but that actually itself emits EMF. So yeah, and see, it would have to be have cords, like extra cords. And, you know, we're at the point, I try to minimize the number of cords that are stretching all around when I can. Same, same, same. So, yeah, maybe it just has a slot for the cord. I wish all phones had like a universal charger because then it could be integrated. But you would want it to just have a USB port because I think all of them plug into that. Well, so the thing about the USB port, because it's like if you do the USB port, that makes it more integrated and easier. Then there's the clutter of the cord, you know, because then you have to, you put the phone in and then you would plug the phone into your cord and the cord into the USB. Well, then it, I think you just want something with a slot that they put their charger cord that they already have through. Exactly. So 
the life of brainstorming. Did you see, I wanted to talk about an intermittent fasting study that came out recently. I might have seen it. I don't remember. I see a lot of things. People share them with me, obviously, as you know. I think I think I did see something recently. What was it? It was January 11th. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I saw that. Differential effects of one meal per day in the evening. Wait, then maybe I didn't. On metabolic health and physical performance in lean individuals. They didn't compare it to other meal timing, though, right? They compared a single meal in a 22-2 split, which is very cool because normally I feel like it's rare that these studies actually look at one meal a day, like in two hours, versus three meals per day. It was only 13 participants. I'm not sure if I saw that, actually. I can't remember. January 11th is like a million years ago. <laughs> yes, I know. Oh, and I was also, that. those were the days when I was hot and heavy recording all the time because cleanish had just come out. Yes. They consumed the same amount of calories. Okay. Yeah, I have not seen this one. And I'll put a link to it in the show notes, but the findings were very favorable. The conclusion was that a single meal per day in the evening lowers body weight and adapts metabolic flexibility during exercise via increased fat oxidation, whereas physical performance was not affected. And how long did they do it for? They did it for 11 days. That's, I would, if I were designing an intermittent fasting study, it would certainly not be for 11 days. It needs to be longer so that they really have time to develop their metabolic flexibility. It almost seems to me like that that's just way too short. I mean, I'm, I'm happy they found positive things, but knowing what we know about how long it takes your body to adjust, 11 days is, is nothing. So it was a randomized crossover. So they did one of the options, then two weeks washout, and then the other option. What they were focusing on was athletic performance. So, oh, and they were wearing a continuous glucose monitor, which is very cool. And they did a lot of testing of different athletic performance tests. So like a cycle test where they checked their fat oxidation and their maximum oxygen uptake. They're, they did a strength test. And again, I think that it would make so much sense to give them time to really adapt because I bet in an 11 day, I mean, I know that a lot of people, you know, obviously the, the group that they used was, you know, athletic lean males. So they probably adapt more quickly than someone like, you know, maybe a 45 year old woman who's been struggling with their weight for decades, right? It's a different, different group of people, but I could imagine for someone like that in the second group, someone who's metabolically not healthy, they could actually have reduced performance during the first 11 days. I would actually predict that instead of improved performance. So so these people were healthy. They were trainers. So I think they were, um, well, not trainers. They had training experience. Their BMI was between 20 and 30. Their fat was between 12 and 30%. So they were likely already a more metabolically healthy population. I mean, it was a small study, very small. It was only 13 people. But I really, anybody who's listening, we would love to have some studies where people have time to become really adapted before we see you know, how they, their bodies change. Or maybe you could check them all throughout as they adapt too. That would be fascinating. See how the body changes you know, every day as you're going through the adaptation period. I mean, we certainly know anecdotally from people who go through it, like it's very common to feel good and then you feel terrible and then you feel better. And 
it just, you know, there's a lot that our bodies have to go through as we're adapting. I would not judge intermittent fasting on what happens in the first month to your body is all I'm saying. Yeah. I think it's a little bit better just based on this wasn't like menopausal women who are sedentary. This was like active, young, healthy people. There was one really interesting finding. They actually found lower blood sugar levels during the second half of the day in the one meal per day group. Isn't that interesting? Well, it it echoes what I find in my experience when I was wearing the CGM. My blood glucose went down and stayed down after my body flipped that metabolic switch every day. Like that's exactly what my body did. So I'm not surprised at that at all. They ate between 5 and 7 p.m. for the one meal a day. That's a cool study. So we will put a link to that in the show notes. Yeah, I had not seen that one. I saw something. I can't remember what I saw. Something came out recently and I don't remember a thing about it except that it was positive, but it definitely wasn't that. Unless someone shared it and all I did was read the abstract and didn't dig in. It is possible and it didn't register. I know there was something that came out, but my brain is full. (laughs) Stuff's falling out right now actively. It's interesting. It was funded by a diabetes foundation. Well, I definitely think that this is a great protocol for you know, fasting for anyone who has diabetes, as we know from the diabetes code. Shall we jump into some listener questions for today? Yes. All right. So to start things off, we have a question from Shay and the subject is 2.5 years of IF. And Shay says, I started IF in August, 2019 at 125 pounds after hearing about the health benefits. I am 39 years old, five feet, four 0.75 inches tall. 4.75. That is very specific. She says, I started with 16.8 and worked my way up to 24 within a few weeks as that felt good. I do not restrict anything in my window, but aim to eat mostly whole foods. I am moderately active. I do Pilates two times a week and walk a few miles each day. I also take a few HIIT classes or HIT classes here and there. I managed to maintain my 125 pounds, but I started mixing in two full down days when the pandemic hit and I started working from home. I enjoyed the way I felt doing the full down days. How long should we spend on a new method of IF if we decide to switch it up? Within the past few months, I have gained some weight and now am at 133 to 135 pounds depending on the day. My pants are definitely showing the tightness as well. I'm not happy with how I feel or how my clothes are fitting. I played around with a modified ADF with two 500 calorie days a week. I'm not sure if I like the full down days or the modified down days better. I've been able to do both with no issue. I have blood work done with my doctor and everything came back great. I'm feeling very discouraged with IF and the fact that I've gained around 10 pounds. I believe that I am just able to eat a lot more than I should be in my eating window. This is where it would be helpful to have a guideline of how many calories, et cetera, I should be consuming per day, but I know we want to avoid a diet mindset. Help, I have no idea what IF schedule I should be following or what type of diet I should be eating, or does IF no longer work for me? What I do know is that I am 10 pounds up and I do not want to give up the health benefits of IF frowny emoji. (laughs) Well, there's a lot in there, Shay, and I know it's super frustrating to be gaining weight and not understanding why. You know, I can remember, this is before I was doing intermittent fasting, I gained 50 pounds in 18 months. I was not doing intermittent fasting at the time, but I gained 50 pounds in 18 months, and I did not change what I was eating or doing during that period of time. 
So, I mean, well, okay, I say that. I did stop taking diet pills. <laughs> that was that period of time in my life when I stopped taking the diet pills. And other than that, though, I didn't change what I was eating or doing, but I was no longer taking diet pills. And I gained 50 pounds in 18 months. I remember talking to the doctor. I'm like, I don't know what's happening. I'm not eating more. But I mean, I probably was. I was under a lot of stress. I had probably messed up my body in many, many ways. I had some hormonal changes going on. I had used one form of birth control and switched to a different one. I mean, there were so many variables going on at the time. But something changed in, in what I was doing or in my body, and the weight just piled on. And it certainly didn't seem like I was eating so much food that I should be gaining 50 pounds. But I tell that story to say that the body is really, really complicated, and there's so many factors. So let's unpack what's happened. You are between 133 to 135 right now, and you're almost 5'5". So you and I are about the same height. So you are in a healthy weight range because the last time I got on the scale, you know, I'm 5'5". The last time I got on the scale back in 2017, I saw a weight of, I think it was 130. So we're a very, very similar size. And... I know that is no comfort if you feel like you're fluffier than you want to be. You know, it's, it doesn't matter. Well, I, I don't care that Jen and I are the same size. I want to be leaner, and I get it. But I'm telling you that you are in a healthy weight for your body. Now, if you are slowly gaining and you're going to keep gaining, that's definitely not okay. Now, if your body has just, you know, come to a new point where it's settling, that, that's different. You know, maybe this is the weight your body wants to be right now at this stage of your life. Our bodies do change over time for whatever reason. But I would ask you to look back and think, you know, you've been doing intermittent fasting for two and a half years, and it sounds like for two years of it, your weight was stable, or even just over two years, because it was only recently that you started to gain weight. So something changed. Something in your body has changed. When I look back to me at that time when I rapidly gained 50 pounds in 18 months, there were several things that changed. I stopped taking diet pills. I moved. I was under a great deal of stress. My birth control was changing. So all those factors, I can't put my finger on, you know, well, it was, it was the quitting the diet pills. That probably was a huge factor. Oh, it was the birth control change. Actually, my weight started to go up before I stopped taking the diet pills when I changed my birth control. That really felt like it was a factor at the time. All that again to say, our bodies are really, really complicated. So you asked, does IF no longer work for me? Well, of course, IF still, quote, works for you because intermittent fasting is a very healthy way to live. Of course, IF is working for you. It's a very healthy way to live. We're talking about the weight gain. Intermittent fasting itself does not, quote, cause weight gain. So like, you haven't been doing this approach for all these years and maintaining your weight and all of a sudden intermittent fasting broke, right? That isn't what happens. But something in your body has changed. And I would see if I could figure out what that might be. It could be the stress. It could be a new medication. It could be maybe you were sick. Like I, I know I've talked before. I don't know if on this podcast, if I have, I probably have. I have a friend that got food poisoning and it changed her gut dramatically and it took her over a year to get back to health from that. So see if you can go back and see what might have changed at the time. You know, intermittent fasting doesn't, quote, stop working, but there's something you're going to have to dig into more deeply. 
you know, I don't know why you said your very last sentence was, I do not want to give up the health benefits of IF. I don't know why you would. To me, if you quit intermittent fasting and went to an all-day eating paradigm, I can't imagine that causing more weight loss or health benefits than sticking to intermittent fasting. Does that make sense, Melanie? Mm-hmm. Like quitting intermittent fasting, I feel like you might would see really rapid you know, weight gain at that point if your body's already having some weight gain. I don't, I don't feel like that would be the answer. But I would try to figure out, you know, what could it have been? What could have changed in my body? What happened right before the weight gain started? Have I been under a lot of stress? You know, maybe your body doesn't like the down days. Maybe, you know, because you talked about how you're very, very active. You do Pilates. You walk every day. You do high-intensity interval training here and there. You were maintaining. Then you started doing two full down days, and you were working from home. Maybe that feels like too much for your body. Maybe you need to go back to a daily eating window approach and see. I mean, I don't think that more fasting is always the answer. It could feel like too much to your body. But that also might not be it. It could be something else. It could be something that's changed with your gut or something that's changed with your health, something that's changed hormonally. Maybe you're like, oh, that's when I started taking the... Or medication. Such and such medication, exactly. Or, oh, that's when, you know, such and such happened. That's when I had this illness and I'm still inflamed from that. For example, I'm just going to say COVID. You know, we don't talk a lot about COVID on here because that's not our expertise and it's still, you know, the science is unfolding. But COVID causes a great deal of inflammation in the body. And, you know, anecdotally from people that are in the Delayed on Tonight community, we're seeing a lot of people who, after going through COVID, have a lot of inflammation that sticks around for a really, really long time. And what comes along with inflammation? Weight gain. So that's just an anecdotal kind of a thing, but that's a factor. Hi, friends. I'm about to tell you how to get an exclusive discount on one of my favorite products for truly upgrading your health on a cellular level. So the new year is upon us, and it's often a time where people are really trying to instill new habits and really upgrade their health. There's something I have been using for years, not just at the new year, literally every single day of my life. I am not making that up. Even when I travel, I have a way to address it then, which I will tell you about. And it's something that is so easy and feels amazing. That is red light and near-infrared therapy. Okay, so friends, you could go somewhere and pay a lot of money to do red light near-infrared therapy sessions, or you could just bring it to your home and use it every single day. That's what I do. I've been using Juve red and near-infrared light therapy devices for so long. There are so many clinically proven benefits of red light therapy. That includes improving your skin. Yes, you really will notice it. Faster muscle recovery, reduced pain and inflammation, enhanced sleep, and so much more. I use it in the morning and evening as ambient light because it actually mimics the setting and rising sun. And then I sort of run it throughout the day as well to help combat all of the blue light that we're exposed to, which can have a negative effect on our health. Whenever I have muscle pain, I shine Juve on the muscle. For me, it has made the pain go away instantly. And then for chronic pain, when I do continued sessions, it's made it dissipate. One of my good friends who is a doctor uses these devices on his, shall we say, manhood for benefits there. Yes, it can help in that department as well. I honestly could not imagine my life without Juve. 
You will just feel so good using these devices. People also post all the time in our Facebook group of their pets gravitating towards the Juve because intuitively they just know that it's good for them. The reason Juve can address so many things related to health is because it actually affects our cells on the mitochondrial level. Basically, it makes those cells perform better. And when those cells are performing better, everything just works better. That's why, yes, Juve can help with your energy as well. I've been recommending Juve specifically for years because the quality of their devices are the best. Their modular design allows for a variety of setup options to give you flexibility. The treatments are so easy. You can do them in as little as 10 minutes, or you can be using it all throughout the day like I do. All you have to do is relax and let your body take in the light. They also have their Juve Go, which you can travel with. Yes, that is how I really do use this every single day. That Go is also great for targeting specific areas of your body, like hurting joints or sore muscles. Honestly, friends, health doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be complicated. If you're looking to enhance your health and wellness this new year, start with what matters, which is your cells. And Juve has an amazing offer just for our audience. You can go to juve.com slash ifpodcast and use the coupon code ifpodcast to get a discount on your qualifying order. Again, that's j-o-o-v-v.com forward slash ifpodcast to get an exclusive discount on your order. Pick up Juve today. Some exclusions apply. I really hope you guys can experience Juve. It really is one of my favorite things. And we'll put all this information in the show notes. All right, now back to the show. So we're, we're still learning, of course, what the long-term effects of COVID might be on the body. But you know, how long does the inflammation go on? Long COVID? I don't know. You didn't mention whether you had COVID or not, but I'm just throwing that out there. You know, maybe somebody's listening and they're now they're having like the ding, ding, ding going off in their head of, oh my gosh, I did start having increased inflammation after COVID and my weight went up and I'd been stable before that. Does that mean intermittent fasting has stopped working? I would say in that case, that means your body probably needs it more than ever because we know intermittent fasting tends to decrease inflammation. So anything you could do to decrease inflammation would be a good thing. I know I talked all around in circles. (laughs) I hope that this is just a temporary little blip weight gain and you're not just going to keep going up and up, like I said, because really 133 to 135 is a healthy weight. And I know if we've been 125 for two years, we feel really good at that. It doesn't feel good to go up at all and then stabilize at a new spot. So I know that's frustrating. So hopefully some of what I said will help somebody, hopefully you, hopefully it'll help you go, oh, it's got to be this. And then you can start thinking about what to do next. But, you know, as far as the part about us telling you how many calories to eat, that wouldn't make any sense at all just because our bodies are all so different. You know, calories in, you can only adjust calories in so much, but then it's the calories out that makes all the difference, what your body does. If your body slows your metabolic rate, you can have the same exact amount of calories you've always had, and now you're gaining weight because your body has slowed your metabolic rate for whatever reason. So, you know, there isn't going to be a a calories formula we could give you because that just, our bodies are too different. So I know I went all around and around and around on that answer, but there's just a lot going on in there and it's hard to know. So what do you think, Melanie? I thought those were all fantastic thoughts (laughs) as per usual. I actually had some follow-up questions for you. It's such a perfect question she asked because we were just talking about this with that other study. So how would you answer her question about how long should we spend on a new method of IF if we decide to switch it up? I think you need to give yourself time to see what happens. You know, I can't give you a number of that as well. I mean, if you don't like it, then you can stop. You know, you don't have to give it time. I mean, I I'd say that, but with, with ADF, for example, some people might not like it the first day 
But after they've done it for a week, they, they settle in. So maybe give yourself a week to see if you like it. And then two or three weeks, at least minimum, to see if anything changes or at least even a month. You know, the longer you give it, the more you'll know if it's suiting you. I mean, if you absolutely hate it, like let's say you try a down day with, you know, full calorie, a full fast, no calorie, zero calorie, clean fast down day for 36 hour fast and then a 12 hour up day, for example. Let's say you feel miserable and you hate it. You might be like, oh, I felt shaky. I felt terrible. I don't like that. You might want to try it one more time a couple weeks later just to see if that was just a you know a one-off or if really, okay, I feel the same way again. I don't like it. Then you have permission to never try that again if you hate it. And then second sort of related question, because I find with ADF, I feel like most people are pretty aware of if they like it, don't like it, and then if they like modified or just complete like a full down day. She says that she doesn't know which one she likes better. Is one better if they can do either one? Here's some interesting stuff about the research. People actually lost more weight when they had the 500 calorie down day. So there's this mistaken, oh, the full fast is, quote, better. But they actually had better weight loss results or fat, I think even fat loss results on the the 500 calorie down day. Now, we don't recommend that you like snack on the 500 calories all day long. Keep it in like a really short eating window at whatever time of the day works better for you for that. You're doing a clean fast. Then you have the meal. Then you have a second clean fast. Sometimes people get really confused. They're like, doesn't food break a fast? So why am I eating a meal? Well, yes, it breaks the fast. It does break the fast. You're not fasting during the part of it where you're eating the 500 calorie meal. Because some people get really confused. They're like, I did a 42-hour fast and I had the meal. I'm like, well, you didn't do a 42-hour fast with a 500-calorie meal in the middle of it. What you did was maybe a 21-hour fast and then the 500-calorie meal. And then you did a second fast that might have been 20 hours and a half or something. So you know that's not a 42-hour fast. Eating a 500-calorie meal does break the fast, yes. But It is a well-researched ADF approach, and it was great at giving the the participants, you know, the metabolic benefits because of the up day. They had great fat loss. So there is no, quote, better. It's all what feels good to you. And you don't have to do it the same way every time. There are some people who just say, you know what, I'm going to do a full fast if it feels right, and if... Maybe around the time I normally eat dinner, I'm really, really struggling. I'll eat a 500-calorie meal and then have you know the second fast, and, and that's perfectly fine. It doesn't have to be the same way every time, and it isn't always going to be one versus the other. I knew you would have good answers for both of those. So yes, so going back to everything that Jen originally said about Shay's question, I agree 100% that there are so many factors that could have changed that would lead to this. So it's not necessarily the fasting. Like there could be a big change that happened. So revisiting all of that. Something I wanted to touch on was she asked us, you know, a guideline of calories. And Jim was saying that, you know, there's not one answer for people, which I agree with as well. But I wanted to touch on your saying that we don't give a guideline of calories because we want to avoid a diet mindset. So I believe it is possible to live in a paradigm of what you are eating 
that does influence what you're eating without being a diet mindset. So the calorie counting, that's where I feel like it is becoming restrictive because when you're calorie counting, you're putting an endpoint to, I cannot have any more food after this point, even if I'm still hungry. So it's automatically being restrictive because it's saying that you cannot have more food after a certain point in time when the the eating period should be a time when you're eating to satiety till you're full, not to some imaginary finish line that you can't cross. <laughs> On the flip side, you can make conscious choices, I believe, about what you're eating. And I don't consider that to be a diet mindset or even restrictive. It's just because you're choosing what foods you are choosing to eat. And if you're making certain choices in that food realm, it can encourage, in a way, automatic calorie restriction, potentially, based on the foods that you're eating. So I don't know what you're eating, Shay, which actually... Well, she said mostly whole foods. Oh, whole foods. Okay. So Shay is eating mostly whole foods. But just to expand the question a little bit beyond Shay, and then I will come back to Shay specifically, if a person is eating more on the processed food realm, just switching to whole foods, for example, could make a massive, massive difference in their satiety and the level of calories they consume to reach that satiety. I don't consider that a diet mindset. It could become a diet mindset, but I don't think it has to be. So for Shay, mostly whole foods is still vague. Um, so you could keep playing around and trying the different fasting things, or you could look at what you're eating and maybe play around and make tweaks there. And that might have a pretty measurable effect. So I don't know if you have tried like low carb, that might be something to try. I don't know if you've tried lower fat from whole foods, that could be something to try, but there's a lot that could possibly be done there in regards to what you're eating. And then like the mostly part, maybe it is really mostly whole foods or maybe it's mostly whole foods, but then enough of non-mostly whole foods that create a state where you're not losing weight. That's a possibility as well. The part that really strikes me is just that she was weight stable with what she was doing for over two years. And then all of a sudden, bam, up 10 pounds. How did it align with the pandemic? So she started working from home. Yep. And then she started switching up to the down days. And I'm not really sure when the weight gain began. Also, I, yeah, I just don't know. I don't know when the weight gain started. That's the question that, that I'm not really sure about. But she's been doing it for two and a half years overall. And it, she said that she's gained the 10 pounds. It sounded like pretty quickly and recently. Yeah, in a few months, basically. So it sounds like, I mean, the pandemic's been going on for a long time. So it seems like it just all of a sudden has happened, even, you know, as the pandemic has been going on. So as far as like guidelines of how to help this, some something else you could try. I recently interviewed Maria Emmerich. I have not aired the show yet. She talks a lot about the protein sparing modified fast approach. And the interesting thing about her approach, so the protein sparing modified fast approach is, well, there are a lot of definitions to it, but I think the clinical definition, like when they would use it in the studies is it's calorie restricted and it's basically 
just protein. It's very calorie restricted. Like it, it actually could fall into a modified ADF approach. Is it like down day? It's like a down day, a protein down day. Basically only protein and then like lean chicken breasts and egg whites and stuff like that. And then you can maybe add like, you know, lettuce and I think broccoli, like some greens. I do actually think, so just stepping aside, if one is doing some sort of severe calorie restriction, making it mostly protein, in my opinion, is the way to go to maximize muscle mass preservation and overall health and wellness. So Maria Emmerich's approach though is not calorie restricted at all. She advocates for having a couple days a week, a PSMF day. And basically on that day, you just eat PSMF foods. So it's not calorie restricted, but the effect of it, and she has all of these recipe books. She gave me a discount code. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes. She has amazing recipe books, but basically you can eat these really delicious meals, but I mean, I'm in shock with all the recipes she's come up with, but they're basically just protein. And that for a lot of people can be the thing that can really jumpstart this whole process. So that's something you could try. Basically keep doing, is she doing one meal a day? 16, eight, 24. Yes. Well, it's hard to know what she's doing exactly right now because she said she's doing some down days with ADF. So I don't really know exactly what she's doing right this minute. She was doing a couple down days. I don't know if she still is. Yeah. Okay. So that is something you could try where a few days a week you do a one meal a day type approach in your 24 window and you eat these PSMF foods. I actually think that that might, especially since ADF in the past has been something that she enjoyed. Enjoyed. Yes. So I think that might really, really work for you. And then I also just reread the sentence because I all I was saying that she eats mostly whole foods. I didn't read the part before that. I do not restrict anything in my window, but aim to eat mostly whole foods. So there might be things slipping in there that, because of whatever they are, are going to make it difficult to lose weight. So those are my two suggestions. Looking at what you're eating anyways, and then possibly trying this PSMF days approach. All right. Well, let us know, Shay. And really, really do that deep dive into what changed. What changed what was different? Were you were you sick? Was it a medication? Something like that. And if you can think of something, then let us know. Yes. The medication, for example, that can be something that you might not notice it until you notice it. And then it's made metabolic changes that have encouraged your body to be at this new set point. I don't want to like make it sound hopeless, but it's like medications can make your body and your hypothalamus and everything slowly come to a different weight and really want to stay there. That's really like my whole journey to when I gained all that weight. It was really like I had been taking the doctor prescribed diet pills off and on to maintain my weight for several years and maintaining no problem. And I wasn't taking them like every single day of my life. You know, there were periods of time when I would try to take them and then not take them. But as I took them from the doctor, like I said, but then I changed my birth control. And then all of a sudden I gained like the first 10 pounds, but I was still doing the diet pills and not changing what I was eating. And then shortly after that, it was like, well, I got to stop taking these diet pills. These are awful for me. I feel terrible. But then the weight gain just kind of escalated. It actually started, the weight gain began just from when, when I changed my birth control. There are just so many factors in there. It was hard to know. We also moved. And so that was another reason why I stopped taking the diet pills because I didn't have the same doctor anymore. I don't know. I've never really made that connection, but that was a big part of it. 
I'm sure I could have gotten them. And we had been living in Carrollton and then I moved to Augusta. I'm sure I could have gotten them somewhere in Augusta, but I was like, well, we've moved and I don't have any more and I don't like the way I feel. So I'm going to stop now. I went on birth control in high school for acne. And I, I mean, relatively rapidly to my life, gained a decent amount of weight pretty fast, but you don't really like, you're not expecting it because you're not doing anything different besides the medication. Well, see, I had been on birth control. You know, I had two children. I didn't want to have any any more at that point, I didn't think, but I was on birth control regularly, but then I just switched to a new one. And that's when my weight started picking up. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, let us know, Shay. So we have a question from Jen, and the subject is bone broth, collagen peptide timing, serapeptase timing. She says, hi, ladies. Love the podcast and all the great information and recommendations you both have shared over the years. A bit about me. I've always been normal BMI and have been doing one meal a day IF with clean fasting for about two years now, typically around 20 to 22 hours of fasting with a three-hour eating window. I'll also usually do a 40 to 44-hour fast about once a week with a longer eating window the next day. I just want to pop in there, Jen. We recommend make sure you have what we would call an up day. I know you said a longer eating window. The recommendation is at least six to eight hours with at least two meals. So three meals would also be fine. All right. So she said, I'm omnivorous and typically eat a more whole food-based diet, but still enjoy some processed snacky type foods and desserts. My first question is about opening my window with collagen peptides or bone broth with my one meal a day lifestyle. How long after collagen peptides or bone broth should I wait before eating my actual meal? Melanie has mentioned multiple times how breaking the fast with collagen peptides or bone broth can be very nourishing, especially since the gut has been rested and is primed and ready to receive these rich nutrients. That makes sense to me, especially since I've heard how collagen can possibly help heal leaky gut. Of note, I don't have any digestive issues that I'm aware of and can eat pretty much anything comfortably, though my gut microbiome was rated as bad when I took the Zoe test. I want to maximize the benefits of opening my window with collagen peptides or bone broth and don't want to rush the process, but I also don't want to extend my eating window longer than necessary. Not because I'm trying to restrict my window, but because if I wait too long, I find I'm too full to eat as much of the actual solid food I was looking forward to having and or I finish eating too late in the day and end up uncomfortable, sleeping poorly, and feeling sluggish the next day. I find I just naturally want to stop eating for the day after about three hours. All right. So that is a great first question. I love, love, love having bone broth on an empty stomach as a way to open your fast because like Jen said, bone broth is really, really rich in collagen and amino acids that can directly really help heal your gut lining. So actually today's episode, we have Beauty and the Broth as one of the sponsors. So that company makes wonderful concentrated bone broth. So you reconstitute it with water and we do have a coupon code. If you go to melanieavalon.com slash broth and use the coupon code melanieavalon, you can get a discount and you can listen to the, the ad about it to learn more about their practices. But it's organic, free of added salt, which is really, really hard to find. And it's just delicious. And she's launching, I don't know if it's out yet, but she's launching a mushroom vegan version soon, which is exciting. Again, that one's not going to be as rich in the, the nutrients for healing the gut lining with bone broth. So that to say, 
I don't think there's a scientific answer to this question. I will just say anecdotally for me, what I do is I typically, when I am opening it with a broth, you know how like you can, um, if you have a liquid meal or a soup or something, I think it's just sort of intuitive how long you might need to wait before eating. You know, you're not going to like chug a whole thing of liquid and then want to eat right away with that dilution of your digestive juices and HCL and things like that. So when I was doing it, I usually would just have some and then probably, because I tend to do it while I'm making the dinner, so I'd be sipping on it. So by the time I actually eat, it's probably about mm, 15 minutes later, 20 minutes later. I kind of like to think about it like if you were at a, a restaurant and you're having like a soup course to start your meal. I will say... Well, A, so basically I wouldn't stress about it too much. I would just, you know, have it probably minimum 10 minutes. Again, that there's, there's nothing scientific behind that, just intuitively what feels best. And then that all said, I would not sacrifice because you talk about how if you eat too long or, you know, if your window doesn't end up being around three hours, like that it can interfere with your sleep and feeling sluggish. So I would not, depending on your schedule and that night and what's happening, I would choose the overall eating window timing, honoring your sleep rather than stressing about the amount of time after the bone broth. You're going to get the nutrients either way. So it's not like if you don't have it to open your window and you have it with your window that you're not going to get the benefits. (laughs) You're still going to get the benefits. So I would basically, I would have it, you know, maybe wait 10 minutes, maybe a little bit longer, but I would honor the overall eating window and how it aligns with your sleep, most importantly. All right. So we have the second part of her question, and it says, somewhat related, I started taking the Avalon X Serapeptase supplement about a month ago. Congrats, Melanie. I don't have a specific goal in mind, though I'm hoping it will help with some scar tissue I have. The directions say to take it on an empty stomach. Number one, how far in the fasted state do I need to wait until I can take it? And two, how long after taking it should I wait before opening my eating window? As with the collagen peptides or bone broth, I want to maximize the benefits of serapeptase. Would it be reasonable to take it at bedtime about five to six hours into my fast, but wouldn't I still be in the fed state? Since serapeptase somewhat mimics autophagy, I imagine I also want to wait a good while after taking it before I break my fast so it can work its magic. Thank you, ladies. I appreciate the time you both take for your listeners. Jen. All right, Jen. Wonderful questions. I have answers for you. So the serapeptase for listeners who are not familiar, it is a supplement created by the Japanese silkworm, but now we culture it in a lab. So it is vegan. When you take it in the fasted state, which I will elaborate on per Jen's question, It goes into your bloodstream and it can break down problematic proteins that your body may be reacting to. So it can really help with things like allergies and inflammation and brain fog. It's amazing for that. And then studies have shown that it can help enhance wound healing, actually reduce cholesterol, break down amyloid plaque, do so many things. So as far as when to take it, she mentioned that it sort of somewhat mimics autophagy and The reason that is, so autophagy is a process that happens in our body during the fasted state. It actually happens 24-7, but it's ramped up in the fasted state, and it's when our body 
starts breaking down old and problematic proteins in our body to recycle and reuse and just kind of clean up shop. The thing about autophagy as like a concept that our body is engaging in is it is influenced by, you know, if we're eating, that's going to ramp down autophagy. If we're fasting, it's going to ramp it up. If we exercise, it ramps it up. Coffee can ramp it up. So there are signals that turn it up and down. The way that's different from serapeptase, once you get the serapeptase enzyme into your system, it's not ramping up and down its activity based on other signals. It's just doing what it's doing because it's an actual enzyme doing stuff compared to your body deciding to do autophagy, if that makes sense. Now, getting it into the bloodstream is why there are so many things you need to follow to take it to make sure that happens because it is a proteolytic enzyme, breaking down proteins. If you have it, it's absorbed in the small intestine, not the gut. So it passes through your your stomach into the small intestine, which by the way, this is a reason. So the serapeptases on the market have to have some sort of enteric coating or some sort of protection of the serapeptase to make sure that it reaches the intestine. If the capsule opens in your stomach, it'll just get degraded. It's actually a pretty sensitive enzyme. So if it opens in your stomach, you won't get it in your body because it won't make it into your bloodstream. So it's got to make it to your small intestine. And we've done some tests where we have ordered a lot of our competitor brands and um, put them in capsules of vinegar because vinegar mimics the condition of your stomach. And so many of the brands, they open up really fast, which means they're not even getting to your small intestine. Ours does, which is amazing. All of that to say, if you have it when you have lots of food in you, like in the small intestine, the serapeptase enzyme can open up in the small intestine. And then instead of making it across your gut lining into your bloodstream, the enzymes will break down the food, like the protein, and they won't be active to happen in your body. That's why they need to be taken in a very fasted state. So the recommendation is to take it in the morning because then you're fasted, you know, probably at least eight hours. The more fasted you are when you take it, likely the better. But the good thing is there's less of that window on the other side because you just need it to be before the food, not after. So it's not like you you take it and then you need to fast like five more hours to get the effects. You just need to take it on empty stomach so that it gets into your body. And then once it's in your bloodstream, it's not getting affected by what you're eating. So all of that to say, I would recommend taking it in the morning. If you're only taking one and you want to up your dose, I would rather than taking it again later, I would try just upping your dose in the morning. But you could try taking it later as well, especially if it is at bedtime, you've been fasted five or six hours. That might be enough time. So that if you wanted to, you know, be having a higher dose, you could try that as well. But morning is probably what works best for most people. All right. Yep. (laughs) I don't know how to add anything to that. When I took serapeptase in the past or when I've taken it, I would just take it first thing in the morning after brushing my teeth. And then I don't have to think about it. You know, habit stacking, put things in together. Then you won't forget. Brush my teeth, took my serapeptase, moved on. That was how I I did it. And then it was so far away from any eating that I I knew it wasn't going to be a problem. Perfect. And of course, to get my serapeptase, it is at avalonx.us. You can also get on my email list for 
the whole Avalon X brand because I will be releasing a magnesium soon. Super exciting. That email list is at melanieavalon.com slash Avalon X. Well, you know, I'd love to try your magnesium when it comes out. I know. I will send it to you. (laughs) I would love it. (laughs) I want to try it. Yeah. It's very exciting to be in the final steps of formulating and all of that. Definitely. And it seems like now it's going a lot quicker than the first one did because now you know what you're doing. Yeah. Quick point to that. And this relates to the Sarah Pate's question. I was like so, so committed to finding a filler lubrication option for my supplements that's not toxic or even potentially toxic because I realized, I think people have an idea that magnesium steroids, they're cautious about them, but there's a lot of quote fillers that they make it look like it's something else. Like they make it look like it's vitamin C, but really it's like vitamin C, like a palmitate. So it's basically like a sterate, a fatty acid ester of these different things or like calcium. They do it with calcium. They try to make it look like, oh, it's calcium that's added. Oh, it's vitamin C when really it's basically like a sterate or a palmitate. Some supplements don't require any fillers, which is great, but some do. That's why we came up with this MCT production process. It's a very, very, very small amount. There's a lot of studies on helping absorption of certain things, especially if they're like in a liposomal format or with, actually some studies specifically say with MCTs. So it's not liposomal, but it is more like emulsified. I know I'm using a lot of like supplement words, (laughs) but the point of it is that we had to develop a whole production process to create this. That was a big hurdle for the first one. But now that we have that in place, we can use that for my other supplements if it requires it. So it's definitely an easier step. And yeah, we have more of like the parameters down and, you know, working with the formulation woman, Janice. So it's all been really, really wonderful. Hi friends. One of my favorite foods for gut health, skin, cravings, energy, and immunity is definitely bone broth. I and so many of my listeners love bone broth, but it can also be intimidating because it can be hard to find a bone broth that is all natural, organic, free of preservatives, and especially no salt added. Of course, you can always make your own, which I love, but that can be a little bit of a cumbersome process. That's why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty and the Broth. They make it so, so easy to bring bone broth into your life because they ship it in concentrated form in shelf-stable packets. It's easy to store, doesn't take up space. You don't have to worry about keeping it frozen. And then when you reconstitute it with water, you can customize it exactly to your tastes. It is incredible. Beauty and the Broth makes delicious bone broth from vegetarian-fed, free-range chicken bones and USDA organic, grass-fed, ranch-raised beef. The meat and bones come from certified humane and USDA organic farms. No antibiotics, no hormones. They also use organic vegetables and powerful herbs that are so delicious, all without any added salt or sodium. A lot of the broths on the market are also kettle or pressure cooked, which breaks down ingredient nutrients and reduces their integrity and potency. Beauty in the Broth doesn't do that. They let all of those amazing ingredients slowly simmer for up to 24 hours to create a broth that is super high in naturally occurring collagen and nutrients. Your gut will thank you, I promise. We often get questions about the best way to open your eating window. This is an incredible way to do that. Especially when you're in the fasted state, your gut is super ready to absorb these nutrients and bone broth contains the specific nutrients needed to heal your gut, help with leaky gut, support digestion, and so much more. 
And when it's cold in the winter months, what tastes better than a warm cup of bone broth? You will notice it in your nails, in your gut health, in your hair, in your improved recovery, increased energy. And did I mention it's so convenient and so easy to use? They've also got a vegan mushroom broth, which is super rich in umami and delicious for all of you vegans out there. And you can get 15% off site-wide. Just go to melanieavalon.com slash broth and use the coupon code melanieavalon to get 15% off site-wide. That's melanieavalon.com slash broth with the coupon code melanieavalon for 15% off site-wide. Friends, if you've been wanting to get on the bone broth train, this is the way to do it. Definitely check it out and we'll put all this information in the show notes. I'm glad. I'm learning so much. Yeah. It's fun to create things. It's all just a very exciting process to accomplish new things that you haven't done before. And it's fun to watch you doing something that I have no desire to do. I told Chad, I was like, I'm never going to have a stuff. He's like, what? You know, because he's a medicinal chemist. Drug design is his. Uh, <laughs> Honestly, if I said, Chad, I'd like to start developing supplements, he would probably get super excited. But I just, I don't have any desire to. So I'm not going to, but you, you can be the supplement guru. <laughs> and I'll just take the ones of yours that I want. And that'll be good. And I'll know that they're good because you designed them, but I don't have to do my own. I'm so excited to just eventually make everything that I take currently because then I will just feel so good about taking it like because I know what's in it because <laughs> I, I put it there. I wish there was a way to get rid of, I don't know. I feel like there's such a stigma surrounding supplements because the industry is, you know, is so unregulated and often scammy and I don't want to be associated with any of that, but that's why I'm trying to change that in any case. Well, I'm glad. I I mean, because I think it is important to have, you know, good stuff going on. Yeah. That's what people are putting into their bodies. Like you'll never sell yours on Amazon or will you? I'm not sure. It's funny because I have a lot of friends in the supplement world and I get advice different ways based on that. Some have told me, oh, it's the best thing ever. And some have told me, no, don't do it. We haven't talked about it recently with my partner, but I'm not sure. Well, I just know here's a here's a story of a well-known supplement brand that we have endorsed before. <laughs> and I still do, and I take their magnesium. Let me just put it that way. A friend of mine uses their magnesium and instead of ordering it directly from them, decided to order it from Amazon, but she got like a copycat that was not them, but was pretending to be them, but wasn't. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. You know how I feel about buying supplements on Amazon. I noticed they were on Amazon and then like not. Were they ever legitimately on? I don't know. I don't know if they ever were, but she was like, oh, I found it on Amazon and it was like less expensive because it was the free shipping with Prime or something, but then it was not really them. It was like a copycat knockoff. And she thought she was getting their brand of magnesium, but it wasn't. So a benefit to not being on Amazon is you can say, I'm not on Amazon. So if you're buying it on Amazon, it's not me. Well, exactly. That is a good point. Yeah. It's nice to have like one source. And you could actually say, I don't sell it on Amazon because I'm concerned that you might get a counterfeit because you could. I mean, that's the thing because of what I learned about the way the buy box works and the way that whoever's selling it for the cheapest price, you know, if they were wanted to buy delayed on deny from Bob's booksellers, if Bob was selling it for $5, it would pop it in the buy box and, and it would they would get Bob's bookseller's counterfeit version, not the real one. And so customers could, 
I mean, for months, we know back in, what was it, 2018, for months, when I noticed my sales were were way down and not even, uh, and it was crazy and I couldn't understand why until I realized what was happening. But people were just clicking add to cart and they were getting the, the counterfeit, literally a counterfeit version. And with supplements, if that happened, you would be like devastated that people are getting a counterfeit version. You would have to look at it every single day, multiple times of the day. To, I mean, because see who's in the buy box. Wow. I hadn't really thought about it to that extent. I like put everything through the lens of what if a counterfeiter stole the buy box? That would be really awful. Exactly. And also two or three times, one of those crazy fast feast repeat cookbook books that you, if you go look fast feast repeat on Amazon, there's like a fast feast repeat blank cookbook or something. And it's obviously not by me. It might be by Stephen Jen or (laughs) something crazy. You know, you can't copyright a title. So they have some crazy book that's just a blank book or something and you're charging $9.99 for it. But more than one time, that book has gotten linked to mine on Amazon. So People are thinking they're buying Fast Feast Repeat, and it's that crazy one linked to mine. So we've had to have it unlinked. So it's not that a counterfeit, it's not exactly the same thing because it's not a counterfeit. But you know how when you go to a book and it has like the Audible version and the Kindle version and the paperback version, right? And you can click on the different versions. One of the versions was that crazy one that had gotten linked to mine because it had the same title. There's just so many things you have to be careful of on Amazon. I don't know, but I wonder if my supplement being in a glass bottle would slightly deter counterfeit people because it would be a little bit harder to counterfeit. Maybe. That's another thing that really sets our line apart. It's hard to find supplements in glass bottles. But yes, all very good points. Things I will think about. Thank you. You know, I just, I, you got to think about that. What if someone counterfeited it and it got in your buy box and people were thinking they were getting yours, but they got the other one and then they're going to try to return it to you? Then what do you do? You're like, well, I don't have a record of selling it to you, but they're like, here it is. I mean, it would just be so, oh, so many can of worms. And I would like to be able to say that, that Amazon is a perfectly great place to buy things and you don't have to worry about all that. But I, think Amazon could do a better job, frankly. And I love Amazon. I love Amazon. So anyone from Amazon who's listening, I'm not criticizing you. I'm just saying you could do better. And shoot, I'd be on a committee for free to help you do better. I'm a teacher. I could be on a committee. (laughs) I will give you advice on how to make it better. That's all I have to say about that. They could totally make it better. It's kind of like one of my best friends from college and I, we want to have a little committee It'll be both of us and we want final approval or like we want final checks on all of the Disney films that come out because we're like, we can tell you if this Disney film is going to do too well or not. That's so funny. You want to be on their advisory committee. committee. Yes. Like I, I promise you, like I can help you. Right. Right. Well, that's me. Amazon, I can help you. I can help you with your, with how to clean up your book section. For example, Fast Feast Repeat is a New York Times bestseller. So to have a freaky version, Fast Feast Repeat blank cookbook published by Stephen Jen makes your site look trashy, Amazon. I'm sorry, but it does. Do you agree with that? 
Melanie? I mean, it's a self-published book. I could write this minute, go to Amazon and put up some blank book that I run through their their self-publishing arm and sell it in five minutes. You just have to have a cover design. You put it up. You call it a blank cookbook or whatever. Bam, it's out there. I could make a book called What, When, Wine, Blank Journal, give myself a pseudonym and sell it. But Amazon should have a quality control. They're like, oh, ooh, red flag. There's a real book called What, When, Wine that's actually a real book. This is clearly trying to copycat on that. I think that would be a very easy thing to do to fix that problem. I agree. I mean, I've actually had people email me and say, I bought Fast Feast Repeat on Amazon and it came and it was blank. Is it supposed to be blank? And I'm like, um, no, it's not supposed to be blank. You bought the the cookbook, didn't you? Or the, the blank cookbook or whatever. I would not put a book like that out there in the world. Anyway, Amazon could fix it. Well, Amazon, if you'd like to email questions at ifpodcast.com. <laughs> <laughs> you could just email me directly at jen at ifpodcast.com. I would love to, I would just love to help them because I have like so much love for Amazon in the point that they, they, I mean, I wouldn't have had a book if it wasn't for their self-publishing. So I think their self-publishing is amazing and has like, it changed my life. Right. And, and so I love Amazon for that and, and being able to get delayed on deny out into the world. No publisher would have let me publish that. It was only because I could self publish it that I was able to get it out there. And Amazon allowed me to do that at no charge. But they're just, you know, I hate to see Amazon tarnished by the fraud that's going on. And I know they could, they could spot, especially just if we only talk about within the self publishing part. If they just had a little more quality control about what gets out there, it would make such a difference. Like there was one book one time, it was some kind of intermittent fasting book, and it was by Jen Fung. Yeah. Okay. Jen Fung is not a person. <laughs> That's all I have to say about that. So in any case, the show notes for today's episode will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 254. If you would like to submit your own questions for the show or deliver feedback, you can email questions at ifpodcast.com or you can go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there and you can follow us on Instagram. I am Melanie Avalon, Janice Stevens. And yes, I think that is everything. Anything from you, Jen, before we go? No, I think that's it. Alrighty. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful and I will talk to you next week. All right. Talk to you then. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, everything we discussed on this show does not constitute medical advice. We're not doctors. If you enjoyed the show, please consider writing a review on iTunes. We couldn't do this without our amazing team. Administration by Sharon Merriman. Editing by Podcast Doctors. Show notes and artwork by Brianna Joyner. Transcripts by Speech Docs. Theme music by Leland Cox. See you next week.